0: God is here, and man, do we need him. And so we celebrate Easter when he broke out of that tomb. Death could not hold him. Check out this, uh, this image. There it is. If you go to the Middle East, if you go to Jerusalem, if you go to the old city just outside, there's a, a tomb where they believe Jesus was laid in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb site. Now, if you look at that stone on the left, that, the stone on the left, (laughs) they roll it back in there. That's good. Thank you. Um, It's about a, it's about one to two tons. It's heavy. It's not styrofoam. And to think on Easter morning that that stone was rolled away on purpose, And then we go inside the tomb, and we see that the grave clothes are folded up, and it's empty. And Jesus marched out, man. And how cool is that, that the God, when you put your trust in him, he is the only God who ever existed who is the one true God that we can put our faith and trust in. And just like he came out of that grave, sin, death, and the grave could not hold him, Resurrection Sunday, man, there was an explosion that came out of that cemetery. And that's a reminder, friends, when Jesus comes back again, that's not going to hold us. We're going to live with him forever and ever. That's what gets us fired up. So let's stand together. We're going to take a look at a few verses on the front end just to kind of build a a foundation. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 3, the apostle Paul writes what's most important. And I get it. There's people here today and those watching online. When was the last time that you thought about the condition of your soul? Because that soul will never die. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will go to be with Jesus forever and ever in heaven. If you choose to reject that free gift of salvation, you will go to hell and be eternally separated from a holy God. There's no middle ground. It's either one or the other. And Paul shoots a flare in the air for us on Easter morning. And he's telling us what is most important. And I want to ask you this morning, what is most important in your life right here and right now? If you had a list If you had a pencil, what would come in at number one? Well, I'm sure we get a variety of things. But I would would like to encourage you, man, if God and your soul is not on the top, our prayer today is that that will happen. Because that is what's most important. And Paul writes, I passed on to you what was most important. And what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And then later on in that chapter, verse 57, but thank God he, Jesus, gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we get fired up about. Amen. He gives us victory. How many of you get fired up over defeat? Huh? You go to an athletic event and say, I hope my team loses today. <laughs> huh? No, you, that's not part of your DNA, man. You want to you wanna win. And God wants you to win in your walk with him. And he's given you everything, his great promises, his word, his presence, that will enable you and I to walk in victory and not in defeat. There is nothing like it, man. And if you're chained to sin this morning, you've seen it, you've heard the songs. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your personal savior, your spiritual leader, Man, sin has a grip on you, and that's not cool. That's not fun. Addictions, life-controlling habits, etc. they will destroy you. And God loves you so much that he let Jesus, his only son, go to the cross to pay for your sin and my sin, completely paid it in full. It's a free gift. And then we can say, Jesus, you died for me. I put my trust in you. You took my place. On purpose, on purpose, so that I could live with you forever. Talk about love, huh? Man, that's love. And so, our world negates God, unfortunately. And we see that in Romans 6, 7. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Talk about hope. Huh? A message of hope? <laughs> that's, that's why we get, again, get, that's another reason why we get fired up on Easter and every day. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, we thank the Lord for that free gift of salvation. Yeah. And Lord, we thank you this morning for Resurrection Sunday. Man, we'd all be depressed and discouraged and full of despair. Full of hopelessness if you didn't come out of that grave today. But because you did... That gets us fired up, Lord. What hope. You, you fill us with hope for living today and in the future and for all eternity. Lord, I thank you for every person in this auditorium, in this building, those watching online. Lord, you love them, each one, so much that you are willing to die for our sins. You demonstrated that great love for us, Lord, while we were pushing you away. Today, Lord, we pray as we open your word, the Bible. You've given us your word, Lord, to get to know you better. Help us do that. Speak to us by your spirit. And we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Those of you who should have, uh, you should have re- received your outline, your uh, newsletter this morning coming in, and those of you watching online, you could pull it up on the Life Church webpage or on the Life Church Facebook page. And um, it's always cool, man, to fill in blanks, even though it's Sunday. I know some of you in school, you're thinking I'm off school today, I don't need to fill anything out. But it's fun. I think it's fun. And I already filled mine out, so I'm, uh, I'm way ahead of you. We're going to talk about Alan. Alan was a dude raised by a single mom. He had five siblings and he had to learn to scrap for life. He had to scrap to survive. He married at age 19. He had his first son at 20, then a baby girl at 25. Over the next two decades, he advanced from driving a lumber yard delivery truck to becoming part owner of a building supply company. But here's the deal, man. Alan was an alcoholic. He fought with his wife verbally, physically. He terrorized his kids emotionally. He gambled. He was into pornography. He had questionable relationships. He Had a host of other unsavory vices that had a grip on him. But here's the cool thing when his daughter became a teenager, she heard about the love of Jesus Christ. And she decided to put her faith in Jesus. And she realized how much Jesus loved her and she started praying for her dad and her family. And guess what? God began to work. (laughs) <laughs> he started pursuing our good man, Alan. And Alan said to his daughter, I'll go to church with you from time to time, but I could never become a Christian. I've done too many horrible things in my life. God could never forgive me. I could never be good enough. And there's people here today that feel the same way. There's people watching online that feel the same way, man. You've messed up so much. You've gone too far that God could never love you, and forgive you. His daughter said, nobody could ever be good enough, Dad. If we could, then Jesus would not have to go to the cross and pay for our sins. But Alan had a trouble trying to wrap that kind of grace, the grace of the Lord, around his mind. When he was 46 years old, he, his life started taking some more Troublesome turns after a business deal that went belly up. He faced an ugly lawsuit. Alan teetered on the brink of having just breaking down totally, man. Hopelessness just invaded him from top to bottom. From his perspective, he was on the verge of losing it all. And one day, in a panic, Alan drove from North Carolina to Pennsylvania attempting to find his wife. And when he couldn't find her, just that, again, that overwhelming sense of panic and despair and hopelessness overwhelmed him. And he found a church, and he went into it, and he asked for prayer. And the church receptionist said, if you want to see our pastor, he's out at our building site. We're building a new church. I'll draw you a map where you can find him. And sure enough, Alan took the map, Located him, and he told the pastor everything he had ever done wrong in his life. How did the pastor respond? Well, the pastor put his arm around Alan and said, Now let me tell you what I've done. (laughs) Alan tells us later on what happened. He said, That man had done everything I had done. I knew if God could forgive him and he could be a pastor, then he could forgive me too. Alan put his faith in Jesus Christ that day with the pastor and his daughter, who was praying for him as a teenager, said, my dad modeled Jesus Christ so well. And in front of us and our family, and how grateful I am that Jesus rescued my father. Alan went from hopeless to being hope-filled. And friends, this morning I hope you'll experience that as well. Man, if you came in here hopeless today, those of you online, you're in a hopeless situation. This world looks hopeless. feels like darkness is... Creeping in on every side of you. Here it is. God is Emmanuel. He's God with us. And that tomb that you saw that's empty, guess what? It's still empty. <laughs> God is on the move, man. He's alive. And this hope, He gives us hope, just like He gave Alan hope. He'll give you hope when you put your faith in Him. Your life's not going to be perfect. We Some people think, man, when I put my faith in Christ, everything's going to be wonderful and great. No, we live in a broken world. But here's the thing, Jesus promises to walk you through every step of the way. He's not going to throw up a white flag and say, I'm I'm giving you over, man. It's too late. It's hopeless. No, no, he won't do that. And so let's take a look at Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Verse 13. Hope resurrected. I think that's a good topic, don't you? Starting at verse 13, here we go. The same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. What happened? Well, Jesus had been crucified and put in a tomb. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. <laughs> Man, I wish I could have been there. Huh? These dudes, man. Whew. Jesus shows up. Uh, but God kept them from recognizing him. And he asked them, Jesus, what are you guys discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short, sadness written all across their faces. Is that you? Your countenance today, are you carrying... A boatload of sadness. Hmm? Here's two followers of Christ, man. Things didn't work out the way they thought, and they crashed and burned. They did. But guess what? Does Jesus kick them off the side of the road? No, no, no. Let's find out what happens here. So we see Jesus brings hope to the hopeless, just like he did Alan. And... um, we see two, two men, and the Bible tells us they were followers of Christ, and you think, well, I thought everything works out for followers of Christ. No, these dudes were wiped out emotionally. So number one, going the wrong way, verses 13 through 15a, that same day, what same day? The same day that Jesus crashed out of that tomb, man. Well, he didn't crash. The door was open, you know. He just rolled that stone away. Came walking out that same day. Two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. Let's take a look at a map here. Um, We got a lot of dudes here. I know dudes like maps, right? Don't you like maps? You don't? Well, I do. So this this is Israel. Here's Bethlehem where Jesus was born, Jerusalem right here. And, and Emmaus is right up there, seven miles to the Northwest of Jerusalem. And just for, mm, here's the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River coming down and here's the Dead Sea. So that's just kind of points on a map. Um, Jerusalem, that's where Jesus was crucified. And these dudes that Uh, were part of the followers of Christ. They weren't part of his 12 disciples, but they believed that maybe they were part of the 70 disciples that Jesus had. And we know that they were going home. Emmaus. Emmaus was their home. So as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, um. Where are they going? They're leaving Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was. That's where the grave tomb was. And they're they're walking the seven miles. And there's a seven-mile marker there. Have you ever walked seven miles before? Well, that's what they did back in that culture. They did a lot of walking. Now here's the thing. So they're on the road to Emmaus. And just a historical point, the Romans who occupied Israel... Israel was under the Roman Empire at the time. The Romans had built 250,000 miles of road in the world. They were a world power back then. Think about that, 250,000 miles. And 50,000 of those miles were paved. So you kind of get a sense here. No, the roads, the roads, man, the roads. Let's get the roads We're on the road again. No, we're on, there we are, there we are, there we are. That's part of their, uh, the Roman road, man. And that's today. So, you know, they built those roads. They did it well, right? They did it well. Um, So if you were, just to kind of put that in perspective, if you go from San Diego, California to Jacksonville, Florida, that's just about 2,100 miles, 2,000. If you go from California to Hawaii, that's another 2,500 miles. They built 250,000 miles of road. Should we vote? That's a lot of road, right? You say, yeah, man, that's a lot of road out there. And it's Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. And where are these two guys going? Instead of camping out in Jerusalem and saying, hey, let's drill down and see, you know, there were rumors that Jesus came out of the grave, but no, no. They were so full of hopelessness, they had to get out of Jerusalem. They couldn't stay there. And notice there's two guys. And probably these two guys got together and said, we're getting out of here. I can't take this anymore. You know, my my world has just crumbled right in front of me. That's why it's important. Who are you hanging with? One of those guys could have said, no, we need to stay here in Jerusalem, right? Isn't that right? We should stay here and do some research. Instead, these two guys were both in a state of hopelessness together, and so they, they depart from Jerusalem. You, you need people around you that will encourage you to stay put. Hmm? To press on. To keep going. And we see that in verse 18, uh, there was a name tag on Cleopas. He's the only one that had a name tag on. The other guy didn't have one. No name George or whatever. Uh, Whatever the case may be. How did Cleopas get his name in there and his buddy didn't? I don't know. We can ask him when we get to heaven though. Somebody should write that down. Put a memo on there. But can you blame these two guys? You know, when we we plug in to this resurrection story, so many of us, even in the Christian communities across our nation today, we're aborting the mission of following Christ full throttle. We're allowing our culture to discourage us to disappoint us, to overwhelm us, that we start questioning our faith and questioning even the very, the very presence of Almighty God. Does God care? And these two men, they, it was death. Their expectations were, were broken. They expected Jesus uh, to be more than he was, really, to overthrow the Roman Empire. And it didn't happen when you when they saw him crucified, tucked into a grave. It's over, the final chapter. But God's writing the book. That's just the beginning, just the beginning. But they're going the wrong way. They're 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 leaving Jerusalem. They're going the wrong way. Many of us are going the wrong way right now in our lives. We're going the wrong. We're moving away from God. We're choosing a path. Opposite of where God wants us to go and where he wants us to be. Back in 1929, there was only one bowl game, and that was the Rose Bowl. We're talking football, by the way. And in 1929, the Rose Bowl featured the undefeated Georgia Tech and against the one-loss University of California team. And the teams were scoreless going into the second quarter when Georgia Tech fumbled the ball. Roy Regals, who was California's outstanding center and linebacker, recovered the ball on the Tech 40-yard line. And Regals, when he picked up the ball, he started running towards the Georgia Tech goal line, which is good. He was supposed to do that, but for some reason, there was traffic there. There was opposition there. And he, he turned around and ran towards his own end zone, uh, scoring a touchdown, unfortunately. And so because of Regal's mistake, it proved decisive when Georgia Tech went on to win 8-7. to seven. And um, uh, Roy Regal's picked up the nickname Wrong Way Regal's. <laughs> Say, wrong way, wrong way. what's being said about you this are you going the wrong way if you're moving away from the lord you're going the wrong way and the direction we choose is critical really for the life choices that we make long-term decisions and we see as they walked verse 14 they were talking about everything that had happened and they're leaving jerusalem behind and Um, there were some rumors. Luke 24, 11 says, the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. They're at the tomb. Then the men, the angels asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. How many times did Jesus tell these dudes he was coming back on the third day? Nobody seemed to connect the dots that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and then he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. This is the ladies now. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what happened. I want to know where the dudes are, man. I don't have anything against women, but... Why are all the women at the, you know, they're going there. Where's the dudes? They're all locked up in a room, afraid for their lives. Because we see in verse 11, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Back then, a woman's testimony wouldn't be held up in court. And so they figured, well, they don't know what they're talking about. How sad. These men should have known better. So going the wrong way, these two men. Number two, Jesus is on the move. Look at verse 15. Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. So we kind of hit this earlier. They're walking along and they're full of hopelessness. You know, they got their violins out and they're playing, woe is me, woe is us. Our world will never be the same. And Jesus (laughs) walks up behind him. And, um, oh boy, how cool is that? Even though you may be going the wrong way, guess who's going to show up? Jesus is going to come after you. He came after me. I was going the wrong way with my life, and Jesus came after me. Am I glad he did? Absolutely. Absolutely. But here we see that Jesus monitors the heartbeat of every human being. And even though he just came out of that grave, he knows there's two of his dudes that are walking away from Jerusalem and they're they're full of hopelessness and it looks like a dead-end street for them. And so Jesus knows I gotta go, I got I've got to go encourage these guys. I've got to bring some hope to these men. Which he does. And for those of you that may question the love of God, you know, you think, man, God doesn't love me. You have to read Psalm 139. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. (laughs) That's some good reinforcement there. Here it is. Life gets messy. Have you noticed? Life is messy. The longer you live, the, it may seem the messier it gets. And to think that God didn't keep his son up in an isolated place in heaven protecting him, but he sent him down into the mess, didn't he? He, he sent him into our mess. We all have a mess of something. And God loved you and I enough, he, he sent Jesus into our mess, which I'm grateful for. And the truth of the gospel is that God stepped into our messy world. For God so loved the world. The world, that's you and me. God didn't say, we're going to love these people in their mess from a distance. No, we're going to get dirty. Jesus did. He did. By sending Jesus, God ran into the mess for us. And I'm so, I'm so glad. In John five seventeen. It's a good reminder. Jesus said, my father is always working, and so am I. You may think God's on vacation somewhere in the universe, on Pluto somewhere. No, 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 no. He's he's never taken a vacation. He's always working. And Jesus says, so am I. I'm always working. What's he doing? He's coming after people because he loves them. He's modeling that for us right here in Luke 24. And so these guys are so discouraged and they're talking back and forth and, 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 and Jesus is, is listening to their conversation. And instead of walking towards Emmaus, these guys should have, been, ha- should have been planning a resurrection celebration gathering, right? Let's go to Pizza Ranch tonight, you know? let's get some Dairy Queen ice cream cakes in here, man. We need to have a party. We need to celebrate because Jesus, they thought they put him away for good, but he's alive. We're going to celebrate. But instead they're going, they're tanking. They're tanking, man. And Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing. Remember now, When you study the crucifixion, Jesus was brutally beaten. Isaiah 52.14 says that, "...but many were amazed when they saw him." This is a prophecy 700 years before the crucifixion. "...his face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man." He was beaten brutally before they hung him on a cross. The other reason is Jesus, or God's holding back here, his appearance. You ever have a conversation with a person or maybe a group of people and they're talking against somebody and it happens to be your cousin? They're just blasting them. And all of a sudden, that's my cousin. Oh, yeah, I just remembered your cut. Co- oh, yeah, he's a good dude, man. Yeah, yeah, he's good, he's good. Jesus knew if he was identified at that time, they would kind of powder their story, you know? They would try to make themselves look good instead of doubting and, questioning their faith in God, see? It's good to be authentic. It's good to be real. And so Jesus shows up in that conversation. Number three, sinking into despair, verse 17, he asks them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? Jesus picks it up right away. They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. And Jesus says, what things? He's messing with them, man. He's messing with them. He's been there. He knows, he's part, of, he's number one, man. He knows what's been going on. Some of us think God's checked out in my life, man. I He doesn't know all the details that I'm going through right now. Look, he knows everything. He experienced it in Jerusalem. What things? Well, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. They said he was a prophet who did wonderful, powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priest, you can hear, you can feel those violins coming out here. The other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Check this out, verse 21. We had hoped, past tense, he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of of his followers were at the tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. They figured somebody stole it because they stood and registered that Jesus rose. They had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. What does that mean? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. That's a gloomy countenance. If you're a follower of Christ, friend, it's important that we watch how our countenance is shining or not shining. In our world today. Because of what Jesus did, it should be one of joy. And so, Jesus knows that, um, you know, all the cable news, Twitter, Facebook, it's all blowing up with what's been going on the last three days. And when he says, What things, we see verse 19, the things that happened to Jesus, he was a prophet and he was a mighty teacher verse 21 we had hoped he was the messiah Did you see that it's all in the past they figure it's it, it's dead and gone everything they had hoped for it's now hopelessness and um, you know we can we can allow life circumstances to cause us to start doubting Christ our faith But I like that Jesus didn't leave that alone because, number four, Jesus confronts our hopelessness. Verse 25, then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. <laughs> what, you fight it so hard to believe all, that the, all the prophets had written in Scripture. Wasn't it clearly predicted that he was the Messiah, would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? What does Jesus do? You guys are messed up. I'm gonna leave you alone, you know? No, he doesn't. He says, Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all through the prophets, explaining that all the scriptures, the things concerning him. Self. So Jesus did a Bible study while they were walking, you know. He had his flannel graph with him. You know, here's Moses, here's the Ten Commandments, and he's leading them all the way to Jesus Christ. You foolish people, not understanding, unwise, foolish. Why is that? Because, friends, there's at least 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that talked about the life of Christ, his crucifixion and resurrection. 300. They should have known. They should have locked in to what God's word said, right? We have God's word. We should lock in to what God's word says. We need to know what God's word says. That was common knowledge. It should be common knowledge. And um, even the religious community went to Pilate and said, man, you got to put some locks on that tomb because, you know, the rumors are that Jesus is going to come out of that grave on the third day. I bet their disciples are going to come steal it, you know. They even believed it. But his own people were full of doubt. So, number five, Jesus confirms who he is. I'm so glad he did that. (laughs) And by this time, they were nearing Emmaus. They were at that one mile marker by by then. You know, they're getting closer here. And Jesus acted as if he was going to keep going. And they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. And he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened And they recognized him. So check this out. Their eyes were opened and then he disappears. Oh! He's here and he's gone. They recognize him and then that moment he disappears. He literally, that word means he vanished. Gone. Gone. And they said to what? Wasn't it cool to see Jesus for that split second? Do you know where they go? Look at verse. 32, didn't our hearts burn within us when he, as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? You see the, didn't our hearts burn? What they experienced on the road to Emmaus, that's what should be happening in us as followers of Jesus Christ. Our hearts should burn for the word of the Lord, for God's word. When we read it, it sets a fire inside of us. Jesus confirms verse 31, suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him, and then he disappeared. Man, you can imagine those guys, you know, they they were leaving Jerusalem to go to Emmaus, and once they got to Emmaus, you would think they'd call it the day. Uh, not so. Number six, hope is resurrected. Something goes on in these hopelessness men. To be filled with hope. 33, and within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. Within the hour, they packed their backpacks, threw some granola bars in there. Man, we saw Jesus, we gotta get back to the dudes that are locked down in Jerusalem. We gotta give them some hope, because Jesus gave us some fresh hope today. And so there they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. (laughs) He appeared to Peter, and there's a story about that too, but we won't talk about that this morning. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, uh uh-oh, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Did he pull out his gospel gun and say, you guys are a bunch of losers, man. (laughs) You know, what are you doing under a locked door? You know, you turn the lights out. What's the matter with you guys? No, he didn't do that. He says, peace be with you. That's what they needed to hear. Peace be with you. And friend, you're here this morning and you're going the wrong way. And you don't know what the peace of God is all about. Jesus went to the cross so that you could be at peace with God because your sins are forgiven. He makes you right with God. Isn't that cool? So, man, the place that they had to get away from, when they saw Jesus, they had to get back to it. You see it? God helps us with those situations in life life where we think we need to get out of here. This relationship is crumbling. It's hopeless. No, no, no. Let Jesus step in and he'll bring you back to reconcile. Even though it was nighttime, these disciples could not sleep. They did not, they didn't have it in them, man. They didn't get their cup of tea, you know, to put them to sleep at night. No, they had a cup of coffee and they went out. Going back that seven miles, all the way back to Jerusalem. So, Romans 15:13, I pray, Paul says. That God, the source of hope, you want to find hope? God has it. He's the source of hope. will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. There you go. You want hope? God is the source of all hope. In Matthew 28, 20, this is what we need to camp out on. I'll be with you, Jesus said, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Don't we need to hear that today? I will be with you, he promises. I went after those dudes on the road to Emmaus. <laughs> I resurrected their hope. He can do it for you too. John 1, Jesus said, I came to take away the sin of the world. And just like Alan There's another life story that we can talk about. Carla Faye Tucker, who killed two people while she was loaded with drugs. Her mom started giving her drugs when she was eight years old. Her life, man, if you read her life story, it was a a mess. While she was high, she ended up killing two people, arrested in June of 1983, was put on death row. But somebody gave, a prison ministry gave her a Bible to read when she went into prison. Six months later, she's reading her Bible, and she realizes, God can forgive me for all the horrible things I've done, all the people I've hurt and even killed. God can forgive me. And in that prison cell, she put her faith in Jesus Christ. Six months after she had been arrested. And 14 years later, while she was on death row, she became a stellar inmate in prison. People were amazed by the life change inside a prison. The work, the transformation that Jesus did in her life. The Jesus who came Crashing through that tomb, man. He's alive to transform lives. Her final words before she was executed, she said, I am so sorry. I hope God will give you peace with this to the families that she had killed. And then she said, I'm going to be face to face with Jesus now. I love all of you very much, and I will see you all when you get there. Friends, this morning, without Jesus, we're all on death row. It's hopeless. There's no relationship with God because sin separates us from a holy God. But because God loved you and me, he wants to take you off death row and give you eternal life with him. And so in John 11:25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And this morning, if you're going the wrong way spiritually, or maybe you've drifted from God, life has beat you up and you've doubted and you've questioned your faith this morning you can renew that or put your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. And say, Lord, I know I am a sinner. And I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross. You became my substitution. You subbed for me. I should have been on the cross for my sin, but you took my place. And so by faith, Lord, I'm believing that you are the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and I'm putting my trust in you this morning. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. That free gift of salvation, I'm receiving that gift right now that you've provided for me. And I'll live for you the rest of my life by the Spirit's power living in me. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, we celebrate. We celebrate your name being written in the book of life. We celebrate and rejoice that you're part of God's family. It's a great place to be. So Father, we thank you today for this message of hope that you give to each one of us, no matter where we are on that road of life either on the road towards Emmaus getting away from you or on the road to Jerusalem moving towards you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. The great love of God. Lord, we're pursuing you today. And we thank you for the great love that you have for everyone in this room and those watching online.